Hey everyone, thanks for joining this episode of Pulling the Strings podcast, powered by Puppet. I'm delighted to be your host, and my name is Demetrius Malbro, and I'm on the product marketing team here at Puppet. And today I'm really excited to introduce my special co-host for today, Martez Reed. And Martez is a principal field solutions developer here at Puppet. And he's focused on the creation of technical education content. And today we have Bruno Andrade on. And Bruno is the CEO and founder of SHIPA. He has led distributed systems design and implementation at enterprises across different industries, defining methodologies, concepts, and architecture, and has dedicated the last few years to working on the cloud native space, helping companies through a successful journey. So, Martez, go ahead and take it away. I'll let you uh, jump in and lead the questions. Thanks, Demetrius. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about a, a lot of interesting things. Uh, probably one of the most interesting things in the, the IT space today is, is Kubernetes. Um, so Bruno, kind of kind of one of the first questions is, what is Kubernetes? I mean, there's a, a lot of information and thoughts about Kubernetes, but uh, especially for those that are still still relatively new to Kubernetes, what is Kubernetes? Yeah, no, that, that, I think that's a great point. And uh, first of all, thanks, thanks for having me in the podcast. And when you look at Kubernetes, even though Kubernetes is being uh, there available for for a few years now, most of the enterprises they they're just starting to look at Kubernetes now, either implementing or maybe they have some footprint and they're looking at scaling. But when you look at Kubernetes, Kubernetes is basically an extensible open source platform for managing your containerized workloads and services, and and it's very it's very much driven by declarative. Uh, configuration that helps you to automate your environment. Um, so you can, uh, organizations are basically leveraging Kubernetes for managing your containerized applications that you're deploying today. Yeah. So actually, kind of two interesting words that I heard you say was uh, enterprise as well as open source. And, and obviously, there's been a, a lot of interesting conversations going on about the enterprise adopting Kubernetes. Uh, what are your thoughts on enterprise organizations adopting Kubernetes and, and kind of the open source aspects of it? Um, it, it is it is definitely an increasing number. And I think this number is just going to grow over 2021 now with the new year. Uh, microservices is, is, is just something that organizations are moving towards right now. Kubernetes is, not, is definitely not the silver bullet, won't solve all the problems. But for applications that are going towards the microservice architecture, uh, many organizations are looking right now and are probably the ones that are not there yet. They're probably going to start looking at Kubernetes as a way for them to uh, have a reliable way of managing these new workloads that they are deploying. Um, yeah. So interestingly enough, one of the other things you brought up is, is microservices. That's a, a, another interesting word that the IT industry has been hearing a whole lot. Uh, mm -hmm. What actually are microservices? Um, that, that, that's an interesting question. And when you look at the way most uh, most teams are building architecture and applications today, they are, uh, they are either going the monolith way, which is the way we've been doing for a few years, uh, basically bringing up your infrastructure, your virtual machine, and all your application code uh, is inside that one virtual machine. Uh, this, this is basically the way we've been building it for years now. And when you look at microservices, many organizations, they started looking at microservices as a way to break down your application. And the reason for breaking down your application is to make it easier for maintenance and scalability and, and, and healing, for example. 
And one example I can give is when you look at a, uh, uh, an e-commerce application, for example, when you think about it in the monolith architecture, the, uh, the, the e-commerce application is going to be hosted all inside that one single virtual machine. So you have your front end uh, application code, you have your back end application code for processing payments, maybe uh, your shopping cart and, and so on. So it all lives inside that one single virtual machine or, 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 or server. When you look at um, that same e-commerce application, but in a microservice architecture, you start breaking it down where your front end, basically your website is one single application running, uh, your payment processing is another application running, uh, your app, maybe your your shopping cart is another application. So when it's time for maintenance, it doesn't affect all the other applications. You can perform maintenance just on the website, and this won't affect the backend. It won't affect the payment processing. And when there is need for scalability, let's say there's too many uh, payments being processed at the same time, you can scale just the payment application without scaling the others. So it limits costs and resources utilization. It becomes more intelligent. So that's that's the difference uh, when you start looking at a, at a microservice architecture type of application. So uh, basically a, a kind of a decoupling of uh, the various components and aspects, uh, which makes a lot of sense, especially like the, the public cloud capabilities, as well as what Kubernetes has been able to, to provide us. Um, kind of one of the, the really interesting questions is like, you know, in, in technology, we go through the, these ebbs and flows of, of different things and kind of has been termed the, the hype cycle. And so kind of the, my question becomes, what, what, what makes us think Kubernetes isn't just a fad, like a, 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 a big data or any of the, the blockchains or sort of a lot of the things we've seen that, that kind of get a, a, lot of, a lot of buzz and a lot of hype initially and kind of, kind of seem to fade away? That's that, that, that's a very good point, and 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 you're right that many technologies that we uh, we've seen in the past they came, they stayed for a few years, and they just disappeared. I think Kubernetes is pretty much changing the way you deploy and manage your applications. I think the the key aspect is not to look at Kubernetes as I mentioned as a silver bullet that is going to solve all your problems, and you're going to try to fit all your applications there, because if, if you start doing so, many of your applications and many of the things that you're trying to do, they are going to fail and then you're just going to roll back to your old architecture that you have. So I, I think the key thing is now Kubernetes is being maintained by a large group today. So that's, that's a key difference. You see many organizations involved, such as Google, Red Hat, Microsoft. And so you have very large organizations involved uh, with Kubernetes as a project and helping develop and keep Kubernetes. I think... It will be key for users this year to know how to use Kubernetes intelligently. Now, one of the key challenges that people talk extensively about Kubernetes is basically the, uh, the complexity of implementing and maintaining Kubernetes itself. So there is a lot of focus when it comes to managing the Kubernetes infrastructure cluster and objects. Um, and I believe the more we move towards an automated way that allows us to finally focus on the application, which is basically where Kubernetes has started, uh, this will allow Kubernetes to continue being a key technology instead of fading away because people don't know how to deal with it. Um, so I think that's, that's, and there are many learning curves, uh, many learnings that we took from other platforms and other technologies that didn't progress. I think over time, Kubernetes will take a backseat. It will become like your, your hypervisor. You know it's there but you don't really care about it. You're deploying your application and focus on the application code. So I think that's what's going to happen with Kubernetes over time as well. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. And it's kind of definitely what we've seen in the past. 
And kind of along those lines, my question would be, I, I know you talked about complexity and kind of managing Kubernetes. I know there, there's been a, a really big push, especially from cloud providers to provide like managed Kubernetes. Um, like what, what, what is managed Kubernetes? Um, that, that's a great point. Managed Kubernetes are the offerings that you're seeing coming from, uh, from many of the cloud providers, right? Such as Google, AWS, Azure, Oracle, and others. They, they understand the importance of Kubernetes. They understand how many organizations and what I call cloud scale companies are leveraging Kubernetes. But they also understand the complexity on uh, on the amount of work that it takes for your team to learn and maintain and create clusters and so on. And that was the first wave. So what they're doing now, they're basically offering you Kubernetes already pre-installed. So you can easily go on your cloud provider and spin up a Kubernetes cluster with as many uh, nodes you'd like and distributed nodes across multiple regions. So you have uh, a high availability and so on. So all the work that you had to do to install and maintain the Kubernetes-related infrastructure and scalability, that is pre-configured and offered by your cloud provider. So that saves a lot of your time when it comes to infrastructure management. So you see the focus more and more on, let's get the fo focus on the application rather on the cluster. So that's, that's what the cloud providers are trying to help you do today with their managed offerings. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely seems like a, a great option for those that really don't want to to handle the day-to-day -day management of Kubernetes. I think as as most organizations battle with, how, is there a way to avoid vendor locking? If I say, you know, I want to go with EKS or, or AKS or or any of these these other managed Kubernetes. That that is a that is a great question because many. You see, we've been seeing many organizations using different clusters and different flavors. Like you mentioned, some, some applications have been deployed on AKS at the same time. Some of the other applications are being deployed on, on Oracle, Kubernetes, for example, if you'd like. Um, the, the initial goal of Kubernetes was to give you that application portability, right? And, but when you start looking at a way to consume the managed services, many times the managed services offerings are not exactly the same across cloud providers. So you have to keep an eye um, on that, such as when you're consuming storage or maybe when you're consuming network from Kubernetes. The way you build your applications, they are built to consume the services offered by your cloud providers. So many times the offerings, they are not exactly the same across cloud providers. So if portability is a key for you, is key for your deploying and managing your applications, that is definitely something to keep an eye on. And at the end of the day, managed services are great, but sometimes we've been, we have been seeing organizations actually installing and still managing their Kubernetes. When you need to have full control of the infrastructure and, and small parameters and managing how Kubernetes run, we still see some, a lot of organizations doing that. But if you are going down the path of the managed services, which is great to get you started, but you need portability, keep an eye on the services and keep an eye on how you build your application and the dependency on those offerings, because they are not always completely portable between clusters and clouds. Yeah, I mean, and that's the kind of the, the challenge we, we've obviously traditionally dealt with, whether you pick a, a certain vendors or a certain product, it is kind of being beholden to kind of the way that that's developed and the, the way it, it's architected. Um, I know you mentioned a couple of times, uh, kind of along the lines of helping sort of Kubernetes disappear uh, and, and really help focus on, on applications in terms of developers really, really, really are concerned about getting their code um, pushed out and, and don't really care so much about how it's done or, or, or where it lives. Um, how can we actually start to, to see that with Kubernetes? Because I know a lot of the challenge with Kubernetes now is like, 
I have to understand um, uh, what ingresses are and, and deployments and things like replica sets. And, and honestly, that, that kind of feels like a lot and, and has a, a lot of complexity that I may not want to dig into. How can I help, help to try to avoid some of that? that that's a great point. And, and the first wave that we saw when it, when it comes to Kubernetes was, let's help you get Kubernetes installed, right? And you saw many startups and many vendors basically starting uh, businesses around it on how to get Kubernetes installed, operated, and maybe upgraded. And then we started seeing the managed services uh, from, the cloud, uh, from the cloud providers. But now what people are realizing, now that they understand Kubernetes, most of the organizations, they have maybe a few applications running. Now that they feel good about it, they understand on how to consume it. Now comes the time to scale applications. And, and we've seen many organizations across different industries, especially mid to large organizations. When it comes to deploying dozens or hundreds of services, it becomes a challenge because we've seen a lot of frustration when it comes to one from the developer side where, as you mentioned, they have to understand what an ingress controller is, what type of deployment sets you can use on Kubernetes. And that takes the focus away from the application code itself. Um, and we've seen organizations with basically hundreds of developers being frustrated about it. And what they do to try and solve that problem, they've been trying to scale the operations team. And at the same time, now the operations, they now there, there's the blur line between the developers and the operations because the operations, they have to understand how code is deployed and how infrastructure behaves and all the different components around it and keeping control and security and guardrails around it becomes really challenging because Kubernetes is very, when it comes to infrastructure, is very object centric. As an example, when you deploy an application, a single app can go up to about a dozen objects. So now imagine if you're deploying hundreds of applications or services, it becomes a big nightmare. So I think that's, that's where organizations are today. And the way at least we see that here in, internally here at Shipa is, the way for you to start solving that problem and looking at it is to start thinking about an application layer framework instead of Kubernetes. Again, leverage Kubernetes for what it's great, right? But start focusing on how you deploy your applications independently of the cluster version that you have underneath. And from a control perspective, how do you keep control at an application level rather than object? So you start freeing up the developer to focus on the application itself. Doesn't really matter if it's AKS, EKS, version 117 or 120 that it's coming up, um, but it's it's just my application code. And at the same time, from, a, from an ops perspective, I'm enforcing controls and, and, and guardrails and security at that application layer rather than a bunch of objects that I'm trying to control. So that's, I think, where where we, we should start going to, to see large-scale adoption of Kubernetes and not have it as a, as a fad like, we, like we've spoken before. Yeah, definitely. And that's the, the, the challenge I think people are dealing with, um, whether it's like the sort of the, the, the advent of Helm, where you're, you're trying to provide some, some of that abstraction and, and making things a little bit simpler. Um, but obviously, Helm has a, a number of challenges itself and a lot of new constructs and concepts that it introduces um, and, and I know you guys uh, have been doing a lot of really interesting work at Shippa. Um, I think for me, as, as someone who, who's coming really into the the, the space um, and, and really trying to understand more the sort of the low level aspects of Kubernetes, I, I'm interested in kind of the how Shippa works. Like I, I know Kubernetes, you've got the YAML files and, and, and Helm, you've got more sort of more YAML files that are templatized. <laughs> um, how does how does how does Shippa work in, in relation to to that? That, that, that's a good question, and, and you are right. You have components that can, can try to help you, such as Helm or maybe Customize is another one that uh, we see users uh, leveraging today. But when you look at these components, even though they, they help you, 
um, you still have to know a lot about not only how to build Helm itself, the charts, but also the, the individual objects that your applications are going to consume. So the way we see Helm, it's, it's just a way for you to package those objects and deploy these objects, right? But it, it's very object and infrastructure oriented rather than the application itself. And the other problem that we see users having is once they deploy either using Helm or Customize, for example, is once it's deployed, it's deployed. And then you have to live with the bunch of objects that it deploys in your cluster and monitoring and managing the lifecycle post-deployment is the issue is still there for both the developer and the operations on the post-deployment piece. So when we started thinking about Shipa is we started implementing the, uh, the base and saying, well, how can we allow the developer to one, deploy their applications without knowing there is even Kubernetes in there, right? They don't need to build Helm charts. They don't need to build customized. They don't need to know the API version of the cluster that is running. They could actually care less if it's running Kubernetes. Um, how do we get the application developer to focus just on their application code? And the second one was, how do we allow the operating uh, or the ops team, sorry, to actually build controls and guardrails in a way that when they give access to the developers, they're not giving access to Kubernetes directly, which is not the best interface for developers, but giving access to a way to deploy their applications. But at the same time, me as an operator, I'm defining rules such as security, such as resource consumption and others independently from Kubernetes. So every time applications are deployed, applications automatically go through that cycle of security enforcement, uh, third-party services connections and others, not depending on Kubernetes whatsoever. So you can move pieces around. So that's that's where we started with Shipa and that's, that's the journey we're going through on building that application layer that allows the developers to uh, focus on the application code and the operations to move more and more towards controls and, and governance rather than gluing a bunch of things, uh, things with the YAML. So that's, that's, that's our focus on Shipa today. Okay. Yeah. Sounds super interesting in terms of, of what it can do. I think my concern would be, it, is it, does it, how does it work with Kubernetes versions or can I, can I use it with, with Azure's Kubernetes? Can I use it with Google's Kubernetes or am I, am I locked into one or two versions or types of Kubernetes that I can work with? That, that's an awesome point. And, and I say that because when you, and when you look at the, the packs, right, the, the platform as a service type of offerings, many um, of these platforms are dying now and, and people are migrating out of them. One option is we see, a, uh, one example, sorry, is we see a lot of people moving out of Heroku into Kubernetes because they don't want to have that lockdown when it comes to the way you deploy your application, to the cloud provider you're using, to the third-party services that you have access to. So when we started building Shipa from an architecture perspective, we didn't want to replicate what the other passes are doing or, um, or OpenShift and others that are basically lock you into that. But we focus on that application layer that allows one, the, the operating team to, the operations team to basically remove uh, plugging AKS or plugging GKE, uh, maybe AKS on version 117 and GKE on version 119. But if tomorrow, because the organization is moving towards, let's say, Oracle Kubernetes, they can remove one of these clouds or clusters and add uh, GK and add Oracle Kubernetes without impacting anything. So we build it in a way that you can plug in the different clusters, the different versions, and you focus again on the controls rather than gluing and, and building a bunch of stuff around Kubernetes. Because I say your worst enemy is to get trapped into building things on top of a single cloud provider, right? Or, or, or building a, a new platform on top of Kubernetes. And we've seen organizations spending between one and two years doing that. 
And many of these, when we talk to them today, they want to get out of that business and focus just on the applications and control. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's definitely one of the the challenges that that organizations will face as things become obviously much more distributed, and there's the sort of the the idea of people actually needing to leverage multi cloud and various aspects. Um, and, and I think the the idea has been, well, if we we, we containerize all of our applications and, and leverage Kubernetes, hopefully that provides us the application portability that we would like. Uh, but I, I think a lot of organizations are seeing now that it's it's not as easy as just move the the app to a, another Kubernetes cluster and there's challenge there. Um, so I think there's definitely a, a real big value in what ship is providing. Um, kind of the question would be is is can I can I kick the tires on Shipa? how could I how could I how could I see if it if it's right for me or or at least tinker with it? Yeah, no, for sure. So um, Shipa is provided um, um, in, uh, in in two ways. You have you have the professional version, which basically includes support, include network policies, security controls, and everything that you could want when you're deploying and controlling the apps. But Shipa does have a, a a free version that you can install on any cluster you have, such as AKS, EKE, GKE, or on-premises Kubernetes, Rancher Kubernetes. You can install it on top of your Kubernetes and get started today on deploying and controlling these apps. And one thing that we're working towards right now is open sourcing more and more of Shipa components. Uh, one example is a project that we open sourced recently called Catch, uh, K-E-T-C-H, um, that we actually got the deployment piece uh, or component from Shipa and we open source that component. So if you want to also start, instead of even using the free version of Shipa, but you want to use a, an open source component just to help you uh, get started on deploying your applications of Kubernetes uh, easily, you can also look at that component. So you have open source and you have a free version, uh, both available to you to, uh, to kick the tires. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely seems like the the model of the industry is going with the sort of the open source version to kind of let you you tinker and, and see uh, what, what things can do and, and really gain benefit from it. Um, I mean, and I think the, the the next question I would have to kind of kind of follow up with that would be: I, I know there's a lot of open source tools and, and projects out there. I mean, you look at the the CNCF landscape, and uh, it's it's kind it's kind of an eye chart. Um, what what are, what are your thoughts on how how Shippa is different from a lot of the the other products or the other projects in the, the CNCF? Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. And when, when you look at CNCF, it's really even hard to see yeah, the logos because it's just so big and massive right now. Um, but each, uh, I would say that each of those components illustrated in the, uh, in the CNCF chart basically tackles a different problem, right? Um, and, and some of these may help you get uh, your networking in place or some of these may help you get your storage in place and so on and so forth. So you are going to have to end up using some of these components, unless, of course, some of these, if you use a managed Kubernetes services, some of these components are already prepackaged in the offering, so you don't, you don't need to deal with them. Uh, but as, as you look towards the CNCF chart, many of these components are available to you to tackle different problems. Um, when it comes to the Shipa side, we, we give you the flexibility as an ops team to basically choose the different maybe network plugins or ingress controllers that you have available on Kubernetes or monitoring and so on. And Shipa plugs into that. So we, we, we allow you to basically get the best of breed or the best that would fit your application requirements. And Shipa basically taps on top of that. So we, we end up integrating with most of these components and help you keep them under control at an application layer. So you have monitoring, you have security, you have policies and so on at an application. So we, we integrate with most of the, uh, the components rather than 
competing and saying um, which one is best in that case when it comes to the CNCF chart. Yeah, I mean, and I know for me as a, a, a former first admin or, or ops person, uh, I, I look at the, the, the chart and uh, it, it's, it can be a bit daunting. Um, so I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on um, how individuals in the industry can kind of level up their understanding of um, whether it's public cloud or Kubernetes or cloud native, all these various aspects. Yeah. Um, so as that, that, that's a good point that you raised. My, my background, I'm, 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 I'm an engineer and I spent many years also doing sysadmin before we had the, the pretty name of DevOps, SRE and all that <laughs> stuff. When we're all sysadmin and you used to deal with a bunch of stuff at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And, but one thing that we, that we have as, as, as engineers and sysadmins, we, we have the curiosity to try many different things, right? And we like building things on top of these different components. And, and we, uh, while this is great, we see a lot of the teams around the different organizations building a lot of unnecessary complexity. And while this is, this is great and really cool to build, I think when you start looking at which components to use and should I use a managed cloud provider, a managed service from Kubernetes, or should I build my own cluster? Should I pick... 10 different components when it comes to monitoring and so on. I think the key now is to start looking at what type of applications are you deploying, right? How do you need to scale the applications? How do you need to operate the apps? And how do you need to monitor the apps and support them post-deployment? And what type of services these applications they are going to need across the application lifecycle? And based on that, then you start choosing the right tools for you without building complexity. Because one of the things we've seen a lot is People are using a lot more than they actually need, and that becomes cumbersome as you start scaling the number of services you deploy. Um, so start playing smart, right? If you don't need to have full control of the infrastructure that Kubernetes is leveraging, maybe managed services is a great option for you, right? Let's say if, if you just if you need application uh, monitoring, just then choose the monitoring component that fits best and offers you the most that you want to get uh, that your application developers need to see. So be smart when choosing based on really the application rather than building the infrastructure that is cool. Because I'm I myself I'm I'm guilty of uh, guilty of that. We have the tendency of try to play with a lot and building complexity there. So just I think just playing smart is key for also Kubernetes adoption in in your organization. Yeah, and no, it makes sense. It's uh kind of the the classic engineer trap of uh make it as, as fancy and complex as possible because it's it's cool and interesting. You you, you like to really tinker and things like that. Uh, I mean, kind of kind of along those lines. I know for me, I had a uh, kind of evolved, uh, so to speak, in in terms of what I I was doing as a sysadmin. Started getting more into scripting and uh, configuration management and all the sort of move towards the DevOpsy things. I, I'm I'm in, interested to. From your perspective, what the, the future role of sort of the, the sysadmin or the, the ops person is, especially as I know for me, I've seen a, a lot of uh, traditional devs start to move into the, the DevOps space and um, individuals really focused in on trying to collapse the, the divide between developer and operations person uh, into a single person. And, and, and I keep hearing whether it's like the, the, the last year, the last two or three years, um, like the, the sysadmin sort of dying and, and going away. Where do you, do, you, do you think that's true? Do you think there's really more of an evolution or, or how do you, you see that? I, I don't think, I don't think this, the, the DevOps or the sysadmin or ops team, they're going to die. I think what's going to change is ex- what's going to happen is exactly what you say. It, it, it's going to change over time, right? And as infrastructure becomes more commodity, 
today you're not remember the times when we're sysadmin that we were pretty much focused on installing maybe kvm or installing zen and we're fine-tuning these things and to make sure the uh, the hypervisor worked as we needed and then came vmware and they started offering maybe vcenter and all these things and our role started shifting from managing the hypervisor directly in the nodes and, and tuning these hypervisors to actually being more around controls and guardrails. I think that's exactly what's going to happen with Kubernetes as it takes more of a backseat from a, from an infrastructure component. I see Kubernetes becoming like your Linux kernel or your hypervisor. You know it is there, but from a role perspective, I'm more focused on uh, controls, what type of things are getting deployed, how they're getting deployed and so on. So I think as, as an ops team, they are not going to go away. I think the role is just going to change. And while it is important for us to understand how every component around Kubernetes runs and the objects and how they interact, it's also great for us as an ops team to understand how applications are being deployed and how they perform using these components. From a developer perspective, I agree with you. Um, many, especially smaller organizations, we see a lot of these developers actually having to dig into kind of the, more of the DevOps and, and, and operations and understand, which works great, I would say, at a smaller scale. But when we look at larger organizations, we see them breaking these roles where the developers are pretty much focused on the apps. And then you have a, maybe a platform engineering team, which is trying to solve the developer complexity and allow them to focus on code. And, and you have a DevOps team. So you see more of a breakdown of the different roles uh, as you start scaling the number of people you have in your team, the organizations and services. So I think these roles are going to be uh, are going to get more and more well-defined over time. And everybody's going to be focused again on the application like we were uh, many times before or, or the ops management itself and controls. Yeah, makes sense. You, you focus really on where the, the value is being provided. Um, the last question, because it's kind of the, the classic question, especially as we're around the, the, the new year, the start of the new year is the everybody's doing the, the 2021 predictions of um technology trends and things like that. Uh, but definitely interested to get your thoughts on like where the, just the, the, the IT space is headed in the, the future. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. It's, it, it is a new year. I think last year was, was a challenging year for everyone. And, and while, um, we, we all went through challenges from an IT perspective, I think many things, uh, accelerated from a, from a cloud native, uh, perspective because people started relying more and more on their applications being available to their end users. Um, when it comes 2021, I see um, one of the things I talk a lot about around is, and, and many people, they some people like, some people they don't like, but I say Kubernetes will disappear and your developers, they won't care because they, they will be happy to focus again, get their focus again on the application. So I see Kubernetes taking more of a backseat this year and application being the uh, at the top of the realm uh, today. Um, as part of 2021, I, I believe ops team and developers together, they are choose better the components that they want to use. Again, Kubernetes is not the silver bullet. So I think we're going to see more mature uh, workloads and architectures being delivered um, where monolith is always going to be there, right? Um, at the end of the day, I say you still have mainframes sitting around at a bunch of companies and they never go away. Mm. Um, so you see your monolith, they're, gonna, they're still going to be there. They're going to play a key part in your infrastructure. You are going to see Kubernetes taking a backseat, but microservices are going to grow. And I see serverless coming up as well, right? And you are, I think we're all going to learn how to use the different components where it fits best. So I think that's where 2021 is headed.
yeah, I mean, it, it definitely seems like it's it's the the case and, and where things are, are moving towards. Bruno, um, how can people reach you and, and figure out and, and learn more about Shippa? Yep, no, I'm uh, I'm definitely available across uh, uh, different options. There, one is uh, Twitter. Um, I often check that, and you can check me either on Twitter. I'm also available on LinkedIn, um, as well as uh, directly from uh, from the Shippa website. You can also contact us. And um, being a, a startup and a smaller organization, you can definitely get a hold of me. Very easy. So I would say Twitter and LinkedIn are best. Or if you want to contact me directly from uh, from Shippa website or directly from my email, I'm definitely available. Okay. What's your uh, your your Twitter username? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I ne- uh, it, uh, it's B uh, for Bruno Andrade, my last name, A-N-D-R-A-D-E-T-O. So B Andrade T-O. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. I had to search actually here. Oh, okay. Well, it's great that uh, people can at least search to, to find you if they, they can't remember <laughs> the letters. And th- this is Demetrius checking back in. This this was a phenomenal episode, and I just sat on the sidelines listening to this amazing conversation. So I could definitely not have this conversation the same way that Martez was able to lead the way around the, convers- the conversation around Kubernetes and, and Bruno. So um, be sure to check out the episode. Also check out Shippa as well. Definitely uh, appreciate your time on, on this episode of the podcast, Bruno. And, and I, I think it's really a lot of really great information and, and really intrigued myself about learning more about Shippa and, and what it can provide for sort of that abstraction of, of Kubernetes and making things a little bit simpler. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity on, uh, on participating on the podcast. And it, it's, it's been definitely great to, uh, to discuss these topics. And I would like to thank everyone for sharing with us on Pulling the Strings podcast powered by Puppet.